everybody, and welcome to another My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Paige Niedringhouse. Did I get anywhere close? Yes, you actually nailed it. Awesome. If you're a front-end developer looking for remote work, then I recommend G2i, a React and React Native-focused hiring platform that will connect you directly with their clients that need your skill set. What makes G2i a unique hiring experience is that they spend the time marketing you to their clients of your choice. G2i is a team of engineers that technically vets you up front. If you pass their vetting, their clients have agreed to skip their initial interview process, saving you time and energy getting your next gig. They take care of all the hard work for you so you can get focused on development. To join G2i, go to g2i.co and apply. I'm getting good at guessing names, I guess. <laughs> so do you want to remind people who you are? You were on episode 398. Uh, we talked about Node 12. Sure. Uh, I'm a developer, a senior software engineer currently at the Home Depot. And uh, on JavaScript Jabber, I talked about some of the new uh, release things that were coming with Node in their long-term version of Node 12. So, you know, I'm still at the Home Depot, still developing a lot in React, a little bit in uh, Spring Boot and Java as well. And I'm really excited to be back on the podcast. It was a great honor. Awesome. Now, usually when we talk about building stuff and the Home Depot, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess they need tech too, right? They need a lot of tech, actually. Um, with 2,000 stores, about a million different products in those stores, they need a lot, of, a lot of technology to help manage those assortments. So that's actually what my team does is we help our merchants and our merchant planners make sure that the right stores have the right products at the right time. Nice. Well, I'm going to make pretend that when I go buy toy uh, tools at Home <laughs> Depot, that, that, that goes to your paycheck. So <laughs> it's very much appreciated. Every little bit helps us. <laughs> Heck yeah. So uh, I, I'm curious as we dive in here, um, how did you get into programming? Well, I got into it probably about four years ago and I, I don't come from a traditional computer science background at all. My actual um, undergraduate degree is in uh, information and uh, business, excuse me. Um, so I, I actually had a career in marketing for about the first five years after I graduated from college. So like I said, in my free time outside of work, I had been looking into some of the free courses on Code Academy to see if it was something that I might be interested in doing more. And the previous job that I'd had was in marketing, but I'd gotten laid off because I was working at a pretty small agency and they didn't really have enough work to keep me on full time. So when I got laid off, it was either find another marketing job and I wasn't really loving everything that the marketing jobs were entailing at that point in time. Um, I loved being the person who actually wrote content or came up with strategy, but managing the client relationships and dealing with the project management aspects weren't really pieces of it that I enjoyed. So when that happened, it was either kind of give this coding thing a shot, really try a boot camp, do something that would really give me a taste for it. And if I wanted to do it full time or just go out and get another job. So I actually joined one of the four, a four month coding boot camp that's here in Atlanta where I'm based and it was a nine to five, 16 week, completely immersive crash course in coding. 
Um, and that was really what gave me my first shot at programming in any serious way. And uh, it was definitely the hardest thing that I've ever done. But in the process, I was able to figure out that it was something that I really did enjoy doing and wanted to pursue as a full-time career. Nice. Yeah. And I, I always wonder, you know, that with the kind of the way that boot camps have grown up into this, you know, major force, bringing people into the programming community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like that was a good way to come in? Do you think you might've been better off going a different route now that you've done it? Cause it sounds like you also explored kind of self-teaching through online courses and stuff. I did. And when I was doing those courses on code Academy, it made sense as I would go through the modules with them, but I didn't really understand how to bring it all together and put all these different pieces of JavaScript and HTML and CSS together into a working application. That was really, I guess, where the disconnect came for me. Um, so I feel like the coding boot camp was really absolutely the right choice. I think it condensed so much and really made it possible for me to understand and see how I could take all these different little pieces that I'd learned, but actually make it into something that was working and usable and go from the start of writing your first hello world to actually deploying something out onto AWS or Google cloud platform or one of those cloud servers. So I really, I'm a big proponent as long as you've done the research to understand that the boot camp that you're going into is really a good, you know, a good organization. Because I interviewed two or three that were in Atlanta at the time. And the one that I ended up going with was the smallest one. It was also the newest one. But the, the level of care that I could see from both the founders and the instructors really was what sealed the deal and made me decide to go with them. They really, really cared about their students learning and then succeeding afterwards. Yeah. And that's something that I've seen a lot of. I've talked to a number of people. It's also why I wrote a book on how to find your dream developer job. A lot mm-hmm. of it was aimed at people coming out of boot camps because I've talked to a number of people and they drop, you know, 10 to $20,000, yep. go to the boot camp. They kind of get a cursory idea of how to write code. And then they just kind of get dropped on their head in the middle of the industry. And it's like, okay, hey, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was something that I would say my boot camp did really well. They had mock interviews from about halfway through the program for us to actually prepare um, and get a taste of what a whiteboarding interview might be like, what questions we might be asked, um, as well as a really big focus on connecting us to people who were in the Atlanta area who either ran dev shops or were recruiters for companies, big companies, small companies. Um, So they had a really big focus on making yourself presentable, making your LinkedIn profile up to date, getting your portfolio ready to be shown, having projects that were all completely finished, not just kind of halfway baked. Um, So that was definitely... I think something that they focused on, and I think you would get a lot less of that going through a traditional computer science degree because there's so much more focus on, you know, understanding data structures, learning algorithms, being able to talk about what, you know, the pillars of Java programming are 
things like that, but less about the actual presentation and the ability to write decent code that can run <laughs> in a website. Yeah, it. I mean, comparing boot camps to four-year college degrees is kind of like um, comparing apples to battleships. I mean, it's <laughs> just, you know, the, you go through a completely different experience. The recruiting methodologies are different. Um, you know, you go to a halfway decent school and they'll hire you to write code even though, yeah, you, you haven't had the exposure to kind of the real world mm -hmm. uh, stuff that, that is expected of you. But you have, you know, four years of training in computer science, which yep. is mostly theoretical. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, you do write code, but a lot of the training is, you know, the, the theoretical stuff and the mathematical stuff as opposed to the, you know, I'm going to sit down and, and grind out some, you know, some JavaScript or something. Yeah. But yeah. And I have, I have a degree in computer engineering and a lot of that's theoretical too, but you know, yeah, you build mathematical models for how you want the circuit to work and then you print it in silicon. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's definitely different, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting too, just seeing people come in from a place where, you know, you mentioned I, I did some marketing and then, uh, got into code, thought it was cool, you know, did a couple of online courses and then went to a boot camp, And, and that's the thing that I really think is terrific about tech is that it kind of democratizes the approach that people can take to coming in. And, you know, so if you want to do four months at a boot camp or four years at a university or, you know, two months of really intensive online, you know, self-training, mm -hmm. any of those are viable options for you coming into the industry. They absolutely are. And I, I you know, if you'd asked me five years ago or told me that I would be working in software now, I would never have believed you because that was just something that you know, I never considered myself great at math. I never considered myself super into computers. I liked video games growing up. I liked playing on computers, but I never got into programming or really hacking away at it like I know a lot of people have as a start. But, you know, as I got a little bit more exposure to it, because I did digital marketing in particular, I got to work with our development teams and I got to become really good friends with developers and see what they did at least a little bit from the outside in. And it just, it was what I wanted to understand. I was like, how can I give you, you know, an image or a project or some interactivity that we want you to be able to do? You go away, build it and come back and it actually happens. How does that work? So, you know, suddenly being the person who's figuring out how it works or understanding it or being able to talk about it was so cool to me. I mean, that was just, it, it was amazing. And now the fact that I can talk to, you know, my UX user experience designers, my product managers, and then the other developers that I, are on my team and actually make all of this stuff a reality, it just still blows my mind that it, it's possible with just a computer, basically. Yep, absolutely. So you go through the boot camp. Mm -hmm. And they, they take care of you. They, they, you know, they come and they help you, you know, start your career. Yeah. Um, so is Home Depot your first job or did you wind up somewhere else first? It is actually. Um, I was lucky enough to come into contact with a really good recruiter while I was still in boot camp. 
um, who took the time to listen to me and hear what I wanted in my first job. And really what boot camp taught me more than anything was that there is just so much that I was going to come out not knowing. It really opened my mind to how much I didn't know or how much more there was to learn afterwards. Um, so one of the m most important things that I said to this recruiter was that I wanted to go to some kind of a company where I would have the opportunity to continue learning and growing and getting better. Uh, and he was lucky enough to know the manager who actually ended up hiring me at Home Depot. He put my resume in front of him and I managed to land an interview just a couple weeks before I graduated. And my final interview, actually, where I went in, I paired with one of their senior developers who's still on my team, actually, today. Um, I paired with him. I met the rest of the team. We spent about most of the morning, actually, working together on some different problems and actual Angular code that they were writing at the time. And they offered me the job that afternoon while I was finishing up my final demo project for our demo day the next day at boot camp. So it was, it was really serendipitous. Um, and, you know, I've been there now for almost three and a half years. So that's got to mean something that it's, it has been a really great place to, to kind of develop my chops and learn how much software engineering can be, especially at the enterprise level. Yeah. Well, in three and a half years, that's like, for for job moves for you know anybody else it feels like these days right i know and and that's the thing that I, I talk to people a lot about as well is just you know it's like i hear people complain about their jobs and i'm like well then move i mean there are so many opportunities out there but then also being deliberate about what you want and that sounds like what you did um it put you in a position to where you could wind up at a great place to be yeah. And not only that, once I got there, there were just so many opportunities to continue learning. And then as I got a little bit more experienced and further into understanding both my team, the product that we were working on, um, and our customers' needs, there have been more and more opportunities for me to take a leadership role. So I've mentored, you know, junior developers who have come in to our team after me. I've mentored um interns that we have over the summer who work on projects that help lend to our application. And now I'm leading one of three of our teams that all make up this main product that we support. So not only is it a great place to learn from others, because I've had some really great mentors since I got there, but it's, it, it's given me the opportunity to show what I know and also help others develop and grow in their own careers as well, which has been really gratifying. Nice. Now, I'm, I'm not going to ask how old you are, but it is interesting <laughs> to me as well that, you know, it, it doesn't matter how far you were into your marketing career. Um, but, a, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and some people that are in their 20s and, you know, do the career switch. And I've talked to some people that are in their 50s and do their career mm -hmm. switch. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I'm a little curious, you know, how was that? I mean, do you find that your marketing background really plays a role? And have you found that, um, you know, there are any obstacles as far as, you know, you've seen coming into the industry and, uh, you know, trying to make a career out of this? Um, I would say, and I'm happy to tell you, I'm 30. I'll be 31 uh, in March. 
So I'm the old man. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I would say that my marketing background actually has played a role. It's not been as direct a correlation as I did something in marketing that directly relates to working for Home Depot or working on software, but the experience that I got of dealing with clients, of interacting with people of all different technical backgrounds, whether it was copywriters and creative people or um, technical developers uh, in previous roles, I think really has lent itself to my growth and my career trajectory at Home Depot. I think it gave me some soft skills that are a lot harder to learn, especially right out of college, any kind of college really, um, but that helps me to advance more quickly than I would say somebody who's coming straight from a traditional computer science background of some kind. So I would say really indirectly, it's helped me a lot to be good at presenting, good at articulating my thoughts, um, good at communicating clearly, depending on who the audience is. So I think that those things are really important and have helped me to advance the way that I have. But at the same time, you know, there's definitely still a bit of a stigma around hiring from hiring managers, depending on who you are, of hiring people without computer science degrees. You know, there's you don't know if you're going to get somebody who understands O notation or who can talk about the different types of sort and what their optimizations are or what the different data types will be most beneficial for, um, you know, linked lists and maps and things like that. So it was still really difficult to get that first job. And I know that a lot of the other boot camp grads that I worked with and went through my cohort with struggled to find that very first developer position um, because a lot of people just really weren't considering boot camp grads at that time. And I think it's, it's improved as time has gone on, but they weren't considering them to really know what they were talking about or be able to go beyond just the surface level, write some HTML, write a for loop, write, you know, some CSS. So that I would say is definitely the first job is just the hardest, but once you've gotten your foot in the door and once you're learning and once you're showing that you have value and you can add critical thinking to it and you're, you know, pretty good at what you do, I think a whole new world just opens up for you and it's a lot less, uh, or there's a lot less people wondering if you really know what you're doing versus, hey, they've been success succeeding at their current position for a while now you know, I'm going to give them a shot because they, they've been doing well so far. I think it's funny too, because uh, yeah, some hiring managers put so much stock into the, um, do you know your algorithms? Do you know your data <laughs> structures? Do you know all this stuff? And I sat through those classes. Of course I sat through those classes 15 years ago, mm -hmm. but I couldn't tell you that stuff. I mean, well, I, I have, I have this handy little thing I carry around in my pocket and I open up Google and I, I'll look it up. Right. Absolutely. We never talk about that stuff at work. We use Stack Overflow and we use Google just like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> I have a brother and a cousin that are finishing up CS degrees. 
one of them at Western Governors University, the other one at BYU, Brigham Young mm-hmm. University. And um, they both asked me on different occasions, they're like, so what critical skill, you know, skill am I going to learn in, in college? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the thing that I need to know to be successful? You know, and they're thinking, okay, you know, so is it in the, the CS 200 level class? Is it, you mm-hmm. know, and I just looked at them and I said, you want my honest answer or do you want me to give you some kind of technical BS? And they're like, no, I want the honest answer. And my honest answer was, you got to learn how to work with other people. Yes. And oh like, my god. They're going to give yes. you the hard chops, the hard skills. You got to show up and be able to work with other people because if you can't, then you're, you know, you're useless. Yeah, you're, you're completely right. If you can't, you know, articulate why you're doing something this way or get your point across or persuade someone to try it, yeah, you're going to be stuck in the mud and you're never going to make any forward progress. Yeah, well, and nobody will want to work with you and nobody will want to hire you to work with the, the other people there. Very, so, very true. So, yeah, so it's, it's fascinating to me that so much emphasis is put on the hard skills. And I get it. Those are somewhat easy to uh, measure, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody in front of the computer, you tell them to build something. You ask them to use a particular technique. They either know it or they don't. Yep. But yeah, it's it's fascinating to me how so much emphasis emphasis is put on this stuff, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, I I couldn't agree with you. the The one thing that I would say has been kind of an ever evolving skill of mine that I've been getting better at since I started my boot camp was how to ask the right questions on the internet. So when I get stuck somewhere, how to know what part of the stack trace to throw into the Google search bar and figure out mm-hmm. what is my actual problem based on the bug that I'm seeing at this moment in time. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that's, that's all useful stuff too, but that comes out of experience. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what, that's what you're boiling it down to. And it turns out that uh, CS grads, yeah, they've been forced to write more code over more time than mm-hmm. bootcamp grads, but a lot of it is, I mean, I built a ton of toy code in college, honestly. <laughs> so. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I use to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash jobbook. That's devchat.tv slash job book. So what kinds of things have you built during your career? Um, well, the most, I mean, the biggest thing by far is the, the code base that I've been working on at work. Um, mm-hmm. It started out as the front end being an Angular JS one application, which grew and grew and grew until it was pretty much a behemoth. And it was a massive spaghetti code. We had some really crazy logic going on there. And then it was supported on the back end by probably about 10 different Java applications that were connected to various databases, fetching data from different services, doing all kinds of stuff. Um, 
So what we've been doing actually more recently is upgrading it to React since Google stopped supporting Angular 1 and said, good luck to you. We're going to move on to Angular 6 or 7 at this point. So we've been in the process of... just released 9. I know. (laughs) I know. They're never going to slow down. (laughs) No. Yeah, running Uh, shows on all three frameworks is kind of interesting (laughs) to see what the contrasts are. But yeah, anyway, keep going. Yes. Well... Like I said, we were faced with the issue of no supportability, no more patches, no more upgrades. Uh, So it was either upgrade to a different version of Angular or migrate over to React. Um, And I was very much in favor of React, not just because of its backward compatibility, but also just because the more I've worked with the framework, the more I've enjoyed it. So we've been in the process of that now. And in addition to migrating it over to React, we've also been increasing the functionality for our users at the same time. So it's really been a learning experience and an interesting challenge because we're dealing with data sets sometimes that can be in the hundreds of thousands of pieces of information that we're trying to somehow coalesce into something that makes sense to our users. So it's been a really a really interesting and challenging thing working on something so large with so many different moving pieces and services attached to it, as well as it's running on Pivotal Cloud Foundry and Google Cloud Platform, depending on which service you're looking at. So that's been quite a a challenge in and of itself. In addition to that, on the side, I gave a talk at a conference here in Atlanta this past fall, Connect Tech, uh, and we, my partner and I gave a conference talk on responsive design with using React in particular. Uh, So we built three different applications, one that was non-responsive. So you'd change it from desktop to tablet and it would just look terrible. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One that was using media queries, so pure CSS for the different views. And one that was using uh, a library called React Socks, which actually switches out components based on which viewport size the, the browser currently is. So it was really interesting, but it was also really fun to kind of build these smaller demo APIs that were using the movie uh, database API for information and then resizing it, giving it search functionality, um, genres, all these different upcoming movies, now showing movies, different things like that on the side. And, you know, in addition to that, I've been playing around with the idea of creating a Gatsby blog. I, I blog pretty regularly on Medium. And while I've enjoyed that experience, you know, the more podcasts I listen to and the more advice I hear, everybody is all about owning your own content. And I get it. I understand why, you know, if Medium shuts down tomorrow, all that content that I have up there is gone. But I just haven't had the itch enough that I really feel like I need to own all of my IP because it's just so much easier to throw it on Medium and let them work on the distribution and the tagging and bringing people into it. So I'm thinking about it, but I haven't really done anything about it yet. Yeah, well, um, I, I could encourage you a couple of different ways, but uh, I mean, yeah, uh, I, I love just the, the the folks that go out there and create the content. And so I would rather have you creating content than have you stop and go fuss with 
Gatsby for three months or whatever, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I've I've worked a little bit with Gatsby. I really like it. I just haven't had enough time to devote to really getting into the nitty gritty of it. And and that's the thing is I'm really happy to just write good content, put it out there for people to learn from, then have to you know worry about the configs and worry about you know am I correctly encoding these slugs and is Netlify or, you know, Zite going to pick it up and push out the correct build? Just, I don't really want to have to deal with all of the overhead. I like having a platform where I can just put my thoughts out there and, and it's, it's up and running. <laughs> yeah. I mean, devchat.tv is on 11 which is a static site generator. And the nice thing there is that, I mean, once you have it going, then it's just, you know, you just do a git commit. And then you True. tell it to build periodically. But I mean, there are always trade-offs and yeah. So what got you into blogging? I'm, I'm curious about that. Well, it was actually one of my mentors when I was working or when I was working for Home Depot, he was a senior developer and I was just a, a regular engineer at that point. Um, and one of the, best pieces of advice he ever gave me was that I needed to somehow start giving back to the community and at the same time try and, try and raise my profile as proving that I knew what I was doing as a developer. Um, so he was the one who really encouraged me to just start putting content out there. He's like, you know, we do so many interesting and sometimes really complicated things at work. I'm sure there are other people who would want to know about how we're using Docker or how to build a config server with Spring Boot or um, more of the stuff that I write today is based on JavaScript and React because that's what I'm more familiar with and more focused on. Um, but he just kind of encouraged me to start putting what I knew out there to show that I you know, was doing interesting things and I was learning as I went. Uh, and that's really kind of how I got into the rhythm of it. You know, every couple of weeks, I just will talk about something that I've learned at work, something that I've learned on the side, something that I've, you know, given a tech talk about possibly, or like my conference talk, I turned that into a couple of blogs. So it's really kind of whatever's interesting to me in technology at the moment. I try to just share that out. And some of my best performing ones actually have been about VS Code. People love anything that has to do with VS Code, whether it's linting and setting up prettier or how to transfer your config settings and all of your plugins from one VS Code instance to another. It's really funny how how much those, uh, those articles get referenced and picked up. Um, but yeah, it was really just me wanting to kind of give back to the community because they've given me so much. I've learned so much from blogs, Stack Overflow, online video tutorials that I felt like if I could give, it, give some back, um, that'd be really cool to help somebody else who was stuck on one of the problems that I got stuck on previously. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's funny because that's the same way I got into podcasting. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have a mentor tell me to do it. I was listening to him and I thought it'd be great. But yeah, you know, the interactions and talking through what I learned and 
you know, uh, I, I would go find mentors and bring them onto the show as guests mm-hmm. and, and all of those things pay off in so many different ways. The other thing is, is then you have some body of work out there that people can go and look at and say, oh, this is what she's capable of. This is how she thinks about things. And it sets all that up. Absolutely. And one of the things that really hit home for me when I started writing these was you really don't know something until you have to explain it to somebody else. That's when it really becomes rock solid in your your head of how something works or what, you know, what the benefits are, what the pros and cons are. When you have to write down and explain to someone else how it works, that's when you know you either know it or you don't. (laughs) Yep. So what are you working on these days? Well, I mean, we covered a lot of it, actually. The, the work at work, um, the migration from Angular to React, that's really taking up a lot of our time. Um, but in my free time, I'm focused really on continuing to build up my JavaScript and React skills. So, you know, I'm a big fan of people like Wes Boss and Scott Talinsky. Mm-hmm. I love listening to their Syntax podcast. Yep. Um, and I'm, I've bought Wes's courses. I've subscribed to Level Up Tutorials. Um, so I'm really loving some of the content that they're putting out. Um, I'm also trying to bone up on React Testing Library because testing is a huge thing for us and our software development at work. So that's something that I'm trying to wrap my head around, especially coming from a Jest and Enzyme background when React initially was, was getting started. Um, and then kind of on the side as well, I'm looking more into Gatsby as well as Next.js because I'm really interested in the server-side rendering. And since it's not really something that we have to do much at work, um, it's something that I'd like to be able to learn more about and speak more knowledgeably about. And like I said, maybe Gatsby for a blog, maybe not. But having more of an understanding of the server-side rendered stuff would be really cool to me. Very cool. Well, um, is there anything else that you want people to know about you, know about your coding journey? Any themes or ideas that came up over and over again? Well, one thing that I would like to point out is that I'm, if you know me in person, in real life, you'll know that I'm not really a person who makes decisions lightly. I, I tend to do a lot of planning, a lot of research, a lot of probably to the point of overanalyzing decisions before I'll make them sometimes. Um, so to make the leap to programming with no real experience after I was in marketing for five plus years, it was a really big risk for me. Um, it was, it was a scary proposition, but no matter how much preparation you do, you can just never be sure. Um, but I'd really like to emphasize for anybody who's kind of struggling with the decision to give it a shot to probably take that leap. Because I think if I hadn't, if I'd gone and gotten another job in marketing, I would probably to this day still be wondering, what if I had done it? What would my life be like? What would I be doing? What could I be enjoying that I wouldn't be if I hadn't made that that leap? So I really would like to encourage anybody who's on the fence to give it a shot, you know, even if it turns out that coding is not the thing that you want to do all day, every day, you're still going to have some really great skills that you can add to your resume um, and some really highly valued 
understandings of technical processes that you wouldn't otherwise that I think could translate to almost any job in the future. Just give it a, a shot. It's really scary, but it's been the best decision that I could have made. Awesome. And then I guess the last question that I'm going to ask before we go to picks is, uh, do you have any advice for people who are currently attending a boot camp um, as far as, yeah, how to approach coming out of it and being successful there? The biggest advice I guess I could give would be make sure that your LinkedIn profile is up to date. Make sure that it speaks to the things that you've learned. Um, have, have a portfolio that works. Make sure that all of the, the websites that you put up there as projects, make sure that they actually are finished and completed. And just keep applying. I probably applied to 50 or 60 jobs and I only got responses from two that were even positive of come in for an interview or talk to us on the phone. So, and I know people at my boot camp who applied to upwards of a hundred. So it's really, it's really a long game and it's a, a game of just continued persistence and just don't stop learning. You've got to keep the momentum going. I know it's so hard because the boot camps are, there's so much information coming at you in such a short amount of time, but you've just got to keep at it until either it sticks or you get your first job or, you know, something comes along to, to keep you moving forward, but you just got to try as hard as you can to keep that momentum and forward motion going. Awesome. Totally agree. You got to keep learning. Um, and don't be afraid. One, Sorry, I just thought of one more thing. Don't be afraid to, to reach out in your community. You know, that's what meetups are for. Meetups are such an awesome way to, to connect with other developers, to connect with people who hire for that kind of thing, to just meet other people in your local area who do what you might want to do one day. Um, and that's that's such an important part of, of it. I know that the networking is never fun, especially for developers who tend to be more introverted, myself included, but it's so important. Yeah. But, you know, going back to how you found that first job, right? You found a recruiter that knew the right people to get you in front of. And what I find is over and over again, that's the big, that's the big uh, thing that gets people in the door. 99% of the time, the people that didn't struggle to find a job, they didn't struggle because they had somebody who could get them past a lot of the gatekeepers, mm-hmm. um, get them around the the system where, you know, they get a big pile of resumes and then have to sift through them and they just put you in front of the right person. The right person can make the call and, and get you in. So. Yeah. Completely agree. Yeah. Wrote a whole book on it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, better than most. Yeah. It, it worked for me over and over and over again. So. Yeah. Anyway, if people want to connect with you online, where do they do that? Uh, You can find me on Medium. Uh, My handle is page, P-A-I-G-E, the letter N, 11. And I'm also available on Twitter at P-Nidri. So it's P-N-I-E-D-R-I. And uh, you'll know me if you see a girl with curly red hair. That's my avatar in pretty much every photo. Uh, so I'm not too too hard to find. If you search my whole name, you'll definitely find me. There's only one page Needring House on the internet. <laughs> yep. 
Nice. Yeah, if you can put links to that in the chat, we'll make sure it winds up in the show notes. Absolutely. And then, yeah, do you have some picks for us? Some things you want to shout out about? Yeah. Um, so the last time I was on, I actually talked about a DeLonghi espresso machine because caffeine is what, you know, pumps through a developer's veins on most occasions. So I'd like to follow that up with a electric uh, milk frother. It's called the Breville Milk Cafe Electric Frother. And uh-huh. if you like lattes, cappuccinos, even really good hot chocolate, this thing is going to change your life. It is awesome. It's so easy to use. And we got it probably a couple of weeks ago. That thing is used almost every morning. It's really a game changer if you like milk in your coffee. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to <laughs> check it out. I, I don't drink coffee, but uh, hot chocolate sure hits the spot sometimes. There you go. And another thing that I'd love to point out, which is also not really technology related, um, is the Stuff You Should Know podcast. They're probably one of the most popular ones that's available right now. They're based out of Atlanta, which is a nice shout out because this is my, my hometown as of now. Um, but they're just a really fun podcast to listen to. They talk about anything and everything. Topics have ranged from how jellyfish work to, um, you know, a short stuff about the OK Corral to how ballpoint pens work. It's just a really fun podcast to listen to. It's great for the commute into work and out of work. Um, and I think a lot of people would probably enjoy the, ver- the variety of topics that they offer. Yeah, it's a fun podcast. I haven't listened to them in quite a while, but uh, yeah, it was always fun to just hear what they were into, you know, that week. And it was always <laughs> yeah. something random. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's one of the most fun things is just seeing what topics will come up next. Yep, absolutely. Um, what was the brand on that milk frother? It was a Breville Milk Cafe electric frother. I can send you the links for that as well. Awesome. That'd be great. Yeah, I got my wife a, a milk frother a few years ago, and I don't know that she's ever used it, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> you might have to break it out. <laughs> Heck, yeah. Um, sounds like fun. Um, yeah, the toys that I use in the kitchen, um, and I'll just pick some of these. One of them is an Instant Pot. Oh, um, yeah. I love my Instant Pot. And... uh it's nice because I'll get a I'll get a roast, I'll throw it in the instant pot and an hour or so later dinner's ready. And I just pour all kinds of stuff in it and then let it cook and it <laughs> does its thing, right? Yeah, that thing is awesome. Yep, I love I love that. So uh, I'm going to pick that. And then um another one that I I got for Christmas a couple of years ago that my my wife bought it for me. Um and this is just kind of a fun little toy that um, I control from my phone is the Sphero BB-8. Oh, dude. And, and I don't know how they keep the head on top, but the, it, it works. And, BB-8 uh, has got to be my favorite droid of all time. Yeah, my kids my kids think it's pretty awesome. My, it, it'll entertain my four-year-old for hours. So. <laughs> it's so cute. I love that little droid. Yep. Tons of fun. So. <laughs> So I'm going to pick those. All right. Well, thank you for coming and talking to me, Paige. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me on. This was really fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. 
All right, folks, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up and we will be back next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.